the privilege to introduce our guest preacher this morning. He's not really so much of a guest because he works here uh, out of this building and, and in this area. Uh, Marty Childers is here with his uh, lovely wife, Melissa. And uh, Marty is the director of missions at Yates Baptist Association, uh, who uh, offices next door owns this building. There are landlords and uh, definitely partners in mission in this area. Um, Marty uh, and Melissa um, are, uh, until recently, in, in, in very, very many ways, uh, still so uh, missionaries, uh, but uh, they had been international miss- missionaries spinning the better part of three decades, about 27 years in Bolivia and Costa Rica and Mexico. Um, Marty threatened to preach for an hour uh, and a half today, and um, we, we said that was fine, but because uh, our friend's canoe, who is bilingual congregation, meet after us, he would just have to switch to Spanish at about 11.30-ish, and uh, Marty is uniquely equipped to do that, but I don't think he's going to. Um, uh, I'm really thrilled. Uh, the director of mission for Yates Association has been um, a, an amazingly important uh, part of Oak's story, um, even before uh, Marty uh, jumped into that role uh, in the last year. Um, their former director of mission, who had been there for many years, in a lot of ways uh, encouraged and and uh, uh, allowed the imagination of the Gathering Church to, to run wild enough to, to dream of Oak Church starting here uh, after Lakewood uh, Baptist Church closed its doors four Easter's ago. So we're, we're thankful for that. We, we, we see that job as an important job, um, uh, ministering to and, and encouraging and supporting and resourcing a lot of the local Baptist churches in the area, but also uh, really joining people and partnering on mission. So uh, I'm going to invite Jack Lyons to come up and read our scripture, and, and then we'll welcome Marty to come uh, share from God's word. Joshua, chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, the fall of Jericho. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall, mar- you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Good morning. It is a privilege to be with you here this morning. Um, so I really appreciate the uh, introduction. I, I am not a landlord, uh, but I, I do. Uh, I, I th- that's the second time that I think I've uh, said that today. I'm not a landlord, but uh, we are partners in mission. Um, wanna wanna just say uh, again, thank you. Um, 
and, and also want to uh, ask you to, to be praying for us as Yates Baptist Association. You may be, how many of you have ever even heard of Yates Baptist Association? Maybe you didn't know that this building was, maybe you did, okay. Do you know why we're called Yates Baptist Association? Matthew Yates was the first North Carolinian to go as a missionary to China uh, in 1847. And uh, he actually wrote back letters that motivated many, many people to also go as missionaries. One of those young ladies, her name is Lottie Moon, who actually we use her name uh, in, in a network of, of uh, Southern Baptist churches uh, to take up an offering for missions every year. <laughs> so her name is recognized even though she was motivated by letters from Matthew Yates. So we have a missional legacy. And uh, as Chris said already, uh, we feel like our calling has not changed, just our geography. So it is a pleasure to be with you here today. Um, I do want to try to be brief. I, you know, it's kind of the joke. Uh, we did live in Latin America for uh, uh, a long time, and uh, so our services were longer. I don't know if you've been here for, for Kanu when they have their services, but they're a little bit longer. Uh, we tended to, to meet about two hours or, or three or, you know, however long it went. Uh, and so uh, sometimes they would be a sermon and someone would be visiting and they would say, would you come up and share a word? And that word meant that they were going to preach another sermon. So sometimes you had multiple sermons. So Chris, if I don't do a good job, feel free to come on up after and, and, and fix things. Uh, I, I will try to be brief though, okay? In fact, it reminds me of a story I heard. Maybe you've heard about this, but uh, I, I, heard, I heard about a story of a pastor who was apologizing for a Band-Aid on his face. Have you heard this? So he said, I'm really sorry about the Band-Aid on my face. Um, he said, I was, I was shaving and I was thinking about my sermon, and I cut my face. So after the service, the treasurer was, was you know, going through the offerings, and, and they found a note in the offering plate, and it said, tell the pastor next time he's shaving to think about his face and cut his sermon. So I'm going I'm to try to, I'm gonna try to do as, as, as well as I can on that. Um, one thing that... Uh, Chris didn't say is that we're also grandparents. We have two beautiful um, South American daughter-in-laws, one from Bolivia, one from Brazil, and three amazing grandchildren. So yeah, I'm grandpa. And it changes her perspective, becoming a grandfather. It, uh, it changes a lot of things. I want us to today to look at this passage. Again, probably a story that you've heard before. If you haven't, I hope that, that you go back and, and read a little bit of the context before and after in the book of Joshua, but a, a very well-known story, but I'm hoping that we'll have a different perspective this morning from looking at the story. And as Jack read the story there, you, you realize what's going on. Um, this, this is a story about the nation of Israel as they had, been, they had left uh, from captivity in Egypt. Moses, you remember, had led them. <laughs> they, they wandered for 40 years. Moses has now uh, passed on, and Joshua is now leading the people. They have crossed over into uh, the promised land, and, and they're moving forward. And the first, one of the first big battles they have is this fortified city of Jericho. In fact, Jericho was one of the most uh, important cities in that area, but also it was, a, it was an impenetrable city. Uh, now, if you've... Uh, like me, watched many movies about warfare, and I, I love those kind of movies where there's a, there's a, a city behind a wall, and uh, there's several battle plans, and we're going to get into that. But let me look, if you have your Bibles, look at Joshua 6. I'm going to read verses 8 through 10, uh, and I don't, 
I don't know if you have that up there, but I, I, didn't, I didn't tell you to do that. But I hope you do have your Bibles and, and uh, follow along with me. And just as Joshua has commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram horns before the Lord went before, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking around the priest who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. So we know the plan. The plan is basically for six days they're going to get up and they're going to go around the city and they're going to march. And then on the seventh day they're going to march seven times. They're going to blow the trumpets and they're going to shout. Now, again, if you, if you go back to chapter 5, you see that a messenger from God came and gave this message to Joshua. But can you imagine when Joshua presented this to his generals? So again, they are tested battle plans. In fact, if you watch a lot of movies, you, you probably, basically five battle plans. One is to go over the wall. They bring out the ladders. A lot of the first guys who go up don't make it, but they keep going up. You remember, you've seen that, I know. A second one is the battering ram, where they pull out the battering ram and they try to break the door. And So they go over the wall, they go through the wall. I've even seen, and it's, it's a little bit, uh, I guess, less used, but they build a tunnel underneath. A fourth way would be the, the trickeration way, the, the Trojan horse type thing where they, where they would send something in that would have men inside who would come and unlock the gate. And then a fifth way would be to build a perimeter around and starve the people inside. So those are five tested battle plans. Which one does God choose to use in this story? None of those. The first point I want to make today is God's ways are unconventional. God does things very differently. All I have to do every morning to be reminded of that is look in the mirror. He called me, a country boy from Western North Carolina. Uh, I, I never imagined living in a foreign country, speaking another language. I don't even speak English well. I started to say good, but yes, well. Um, it's really funny. I, I write articles for our newsletter and, and, you know, I apologized to, a man, to my administrative assistant. And she said, no, no, it's okay. She said, you just left out some articles and, you know, you had some run-on sentences. And I say, I do the same thing in Spanish. And in Spanish they tell me, well, yeah, your, your Spanish is good, but you do this. I said, hey, that's because my English is the same way. Uh, so when you have that, that background like I have, I could look around and say there's a lot of people that God could have called. Why did he call me? Some people say God has a sense of humor. That's true. But also, our God is unconventional. He does things different ways. Think about this story. Think about, again, the battle plan. We're going to march around the city six days. We're going to blow the trumpets. The seventh day, we're going to march around seven times. We're going to blow the trumpets. We're going to shout, and the walls are going to come tumbling down. Now, what scientific principles are, are being used here? I mean, it, I think we could probably take this to Mythbusters and they would say this is, this, is, this is not possible, right? But it is possible because God moves in mysterious ways if someone has already said. Look back, if you look back over the history through the Bible, look at King David. Do you remember when David was chosen to be king? 
Saul, the king, was, was prior to that, and he had turned his back on God. And so God told Samuel to go to Jesse's house, the father of David, and to choose one of his sons. So the first one came in. He was a big strapping guy. Samuel said, surely this is him. And God said, no. The second one, nice looking, big, muscular, no. And they passed one by one. Finally, they were all gone. And Samuel said, are there not any more? He said, well, the little guy, the runt, the teenager is out watching the sheep. David, bring him in. And God said, that's my man. God chooses <laughs> things in a different way. In fact, you remember in, in Samuel, it says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Our God does things that are unconventional. Um, things are not what they always appear to be, are they? If you think about how, how all the way through the Bible, God chose to do things in a different way. He sent his son Jesus as a baby who was born in a manger, who, who was laid where animals laid. We would probably have found another majestic way to bring it about, or we, would, we could have done things a different way, but God does things differently. So I, I hope you remember, number one, God does things differently. Number two, God's way always requires faith. If he was going to do some some tremendous event if there's going to be some spectacular lightning from the sky and all these things happening that might not have required faith but to walk around the wall and say on the seventh day we're going to shout that requires faith i believe that that god is probably asking you today maybe this week because i i, I believe that he asked us to do things and sometimes those things may seem a little strange. Sometimes those things may seem like something that we shouldn't do, but it requires faith to believe. Think about, again, throughout the Bible, God asked Abraham to leave his family, to leave his friends, and go to a place that he would show him. He didn't give him any GPS coordinates, did he? He didn't give him a map. He said, go to a place. In other words, take the first step. I will direct every step. I will show you where to go. When we left the United States back in 1988, I felt the same way. Now, this is really strange because most missionaries now have traveled extensively overseas before they ever go. I had never left the United States when we left in 1988. I was going to a place that I'd never been, that spoke a different language, that had a different culture. But I knew that God was going with us, but I also knew that God was already ahead of us. God is asking you. I don't know what, but I believe God is asking some of you to do some things that you might be a little uncomfortable with. He might be asking you to do some things that you're thinking, well, that's just strange. That can't be God. Well, if you look back at his word, it can be. He continually asks people to do things that are different. A definition in the dictionary of, of faith is strong belief or trust in someone or something. But a biblical definition from Hebrews 11 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. It's believing in something you can't see. How do you think that the people of Israel felt when they heard the plan? We're going to march around. So first of all, we talked about the generals, but even the people. We're going to march around the city. We're going to blow the horns. We're going to shout, and the walls will fall down. Do you think some of the people thought that, that maybe Joshua had been drinking some strange Kool-Aid? 
You think some of the people thought, maybe this is, this is just strange. But it required faith to act, did it not? It required them to believe that they would move forward with a plan, even though it seemed a little out of the ordinary. Look at verses 12 through 14 of chapter 6 of Joshua. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. They blew the trumpets continually, and when the armed men were walking before them, the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets continued to blow. And the second day they marched around the city. They returned to camp, and they did this for six six days. So what did they do? God gave them a plan, and they acted. Do you think as they were walking around, even though he told them not to talk, do you think maybe somebody whispered to their friend, this is really weird? Do you think as they were marching around the wall, and, 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 and I've always wondered, you know, it was an act of faith because they were marching around the wall. I don't know how far they were out, but obviously they were probably men with, with bows and arrows who could have shot them. Obviously, they could have thought, well, maybe they're going to come out and attack us because we're defenseless. But they acted by faith. What is God asking you to do by faith? Many of the places that, that, that we speak in, I always try to te- teach them a little Spanish. And I'm going to teach you some Spanish. And I know most of you know this. This is kind of funny, but it works really good with kids. And, and adults are just big kids, right? So repeat after me. Si, senor. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, yes, sir, somebody said, but it also means yes, Lord. Señor is the word for Lord. If Jesus is Lord of your life, can you ever say no? If he's Lord, you can't, can you? There's only one way to answer. So whatever he is asking you to do, whatever step of faith he is asking you to take, the answer can only be yes, Lord. Think about... When I think about the, the idea of conviction of things not seen, you know, I, I, I love movies and I reflect back, it's an older movie, but it's a classic and I think maybe most of you may have seen it, but the Indiana Jones where they're, they're looking for the Holy Grail, do you remember that? And there's a point where, where they get to this abyss, there's, there's this chasm and, and, they, and, and, and it just drops straight off, and, and, but they're supposed to pass across, there's, there's no way to go across and, and then someone takes a little bit of dust and they throw out there and there is a path that was unseen. There is a path that is unseen for your life. There's a path. In fact, the the scripture says in the Old Testament that God will make a way where there is no way. What is God asking you to do that you feel like is impossible? Will you trust? Will you have faith to believe that he can do it? Step into that chasm. Step into that nothing. Believing that he is there. Believing that he is there. I remember as a, as a, as a young teenager, uh, an evangelist came to our church and he spoke and he talked about faith. And, and he talked about faith as, as, as a chair. And he said, just like all of you came in today, you sat down on the chair. None of you got down and expect, inspected the, the pews. None of you got down to inspect if they, if they were nailed together or if they were glued together. You just kind of plopped down. Now, have any of you, I'm not, you don't have to raise your hand, but have any of you ever sat down in a chair that broke? Um, I actually leaned back in a plastic one that, that did, and so it's, you know, that's another. But 
maybe that's a something God's trying to tell me about about my job. I eat a lot and and visit visiting pastors, right? But but none of you got down and inspected the chairs. You sat down because because you believed that it would hold you, that it would sustain you. As God asks you to take a step of faith in your life, maybe to step of faith to believe in something that he's been telling you for a while, maybe to take a, a step of faith to, to reach out and, and to help the poor, maybe to, to, to st- take a step of faith and, and to reach out and, and help a neighbor, maybe to, to walk across the street and be able to minister to someone in your community. Or maybe to be able to go on a mission trip across the world. It, it doesn't matter necessarily what it is. It matters that you understand it and that you take a step of faith. Now, look again. I, I want to say, so the first two points that God, our God is unconventional. He asks us and requires faith. Number three would be God many times uses the least of these to bring about his glory. The least of these. And again, when I wake up and look in the mirror, that's, that's example number one. But he didn't use the soldiers. He didn't use the generals. He used actually the priest or the musicians to blow the horns. And he used the whole people, the whole group to shout. That was his plan. I think many times we think, well, God wants to do these great things, but he wants to use the pastors or he wants to use missionaries or he wants to use only certain people. In fact, one of the, one of the lies of missions, and there, there's a number of lies about missions, but many people used to come to Melissa and myself, and they would say, we could never do what you do. We could have never left home and left our family. We could have never gone to another land. We could never do that. And that's a lie from Satan, because if God calls you, he will equip you. Whatever he's calling you to do, if it's to cross the street or to cross the ocean, if it's to, to, to be a part of, of, of some project, or if it's just to, to speak to a person in a restaurant, it requires that faith. But you have to take that step. God wants to use the one that we least sometimes would imagine. One of my favorite stories is from the book of Naaman. I'm sorry, the book of Second Kings is a story of Naaman. Are you familiar with Naaman? Naaman was a general. Naaman was a, a famous man. In fact, he had won many victories, and it, it tells about all his great things there in in Second Kings chapter five. And it says Naaman was this, and he was that, and he was great, and he was held in high respect by the king. And then it says, but that little three letter word, but he was a leper. He had leprosy. The story is told how he is healed from his leprosy, but in the story, and you can go back and look at this, it's a great story, 2 Kings chapter 5, but it goes back and, and explains how a slave girl spoke to Naaman's wife and told her there's a prophet that if he will go and see, he will be healed. And then he goes to see the prophet, and, and the prophet tells him to go and wash himself in the, in the Jordan River, and he says, the Jordan River is a muddy river. Why could I not... Then this back home where there's these pristine, crystal clear rivers, beautiful places. Why do I have to go to this, this dirty river? And he's mad because he wanted to do something, something great and elaborate. And God had a simple answer, just go. He was so indignant he was not even going to do it. But again, a slave, a servant said to him, but master, why don't you go and try? You've come so far, why don't you go and try? And he dipped himself seven times in the... Jordan River 
And the seventh time it says his skin was like that of a baby. I don't know if you've touched the baby's skin lately, but it's pretty, pretty soft. To go from, from having leprosy, a horrendous disease, to having that skin, again, the power of God, but the power of having faith, but also sometimes of listening to someone who you never would think would be the one to give you the answer. We had the privilege in, in Bolivia and also in Mexico to, to plant churches and to work with church planters. And many times when we were starting a new church and we were beginning the work, I would be looking for who's going to be the leader, who's going to be, because we were starting the church, but we, we were looking for the person who was going to lead the church to come from within. And I'd always think, oh, this is the guy, this is the guy. And almost 90% of the time I was wrong. Because it was not the person that I thought because of their gifts, because of their education, because of their talents, because of their charisma. Many times it was the person I would least expect. So as we think about this story of, of God telling the nation to march around this wall and shout, I can hear the responses of people saying, do what? Do what? We're going to walk around Jericho? And we're going to blow these horns and we're going to shout and the walls are going to do what? Maybe God is asking you to do something and you've said, excuse me, Lord? Are you sure that's what you really want me to do? I believe he's calling us to do things that are probably a little bit different. If you look at the story, there's also a person that's very important uh, in, in the story here. If you look back, as they go into the, the city, after the walls come down, they've been instructed that everyone will perish except for one person in her family. Do you remember who that is? Her name is Rahab. She's a prostitute. Prior to, prior to, to the story in chapter 6, Joshua had sent two spies to go in and, and, and check out the city. They'd gone in to, to find out about how things were going on. And, and they, were, they were found out, and, and the people of Jericho were going to kill them. But this lady, Rahab, she saved them. She hid them, and then she helped them escape. Because of that, they honored her by saving her family. And it's actually really interesting if you go back and you look at the genealogy of Christ. <laughs> her name, a prostitute is also entered in there. So this tells us that God wants to use what the world would see as the least of these, but also he wants to tell, as the world looks at someone who might be the least of these, God does not look at them on that same way. One of the last churches that we were able to start in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, was a, a, a church of postmodern hippies. And I know that sounds really weird, but um, in, in, it was a subculture. Uh, most all of the, the kids had... Uh, Tattoos, body piercings, long hair. Uh, those were just our kids. But, yeah, there were, there were a lot of other kids that had that as well. Uh, my two sons had a, had a Christian rock band. Somebody said, oh, you mean like third day? I said, no, no, like that on steroids. They, they had mosh pits and, you know, the whole deal. And, um, but they moshed for Jesus, right? So whatever it takes, right? But they were able to, to share because of that music with people who would never step foot in a church. We had, we had a young man, his name was, was um, Robert, who came to our house. He was a goth. He dressed 
completely from head to toe in, 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 in dark clothes. He painted his, his fingernails black. He wore black lipstick and black mascara. And he was a, he was a scary looking dude, even though he was only about five foot five. But he was, he was kind of ominous, right? But he came to our house and, and, and he began to, to, to come to the Bible study and the word of God began to work in his heart. And, and he accepted Christ and he changed his life. But he accepted Christ on a Friday night and he showed up at our, he called me and he said on Monday, he said, I've got to talk to you. He said, I've got to talk to you. And I said, what's wrong, Robert? And he said, I, I need to talk. So he came over to our house. He said, Marty, Melissa, will you pray for me? I said, yeah. And I was actually really quick to jump in. I'm like, yeah, being a new, a new Christian is very difficult, and I know you probably have a lot of questions. And he said, wait. He said, you don't know. You don't understand my story. And I said, no, what, no what's your story? So this 19-year-old man, young man, began to tell me that 15 years before that, his father came home in a drunken stupor, as he often did, and he had killed his mother. He said, for 15 years of my life, I have hated him. But Friday night, I lay awake in my bed with this thought in my head that I have to forgive my father. Saturday night, I went to bed and I was sleeping and I was awoken with this thought again that I have to forgive my father. He said, why do I have this inner voice inside of me telling me to forgive my father? And I began to explain to him that that was the Holy Spirit, that that was God's spirit within him. Because he had taken this step of faith to follow Christ that now God's spirit was leading him. And he said, I was afraid you were going to say that. And he said, would you pray for me? Because I don't know if I can do that. So we prayed for him. About six or seven weeks later, we put him on a bus. He, drew, he went 18 hours on a bus down to the border of Argentina, a little city called Tarija, where his father was in prison. He went to see his dad. The guards had to convince the father to come out because the dad thought, he's a grown man. He's probably here to kill me. He hates me. The guards convinced the father to come out. As the father came out, he fell down on his hands and knees and began to weep and, and beg for forgiveness. And Rover got down on his hands and knees with him and said, you don't have to beg for forgiveness, Dad. I've already forgiven you. And the man who was asking for forgiveness and just a second before looked at him and said, how can you forgive me? And Rover led his father to come to know Jesus Christ. God wants to use those that the world would see as the least of these. This young man who three months before looked like Marilyn Manson led his father to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because of something that, that Melissa and I did know. Because God's word is powerful. We opened up our home. We opened up God's word and God's spirit moved. Now, what I love about that story is it's about God. It's not about us. It's about him. And it's about how he wants to use simple people like me, simple people like Robert, and even people like his father, who is now the chaplain in the jail, helping other men to come to know Jesus. God wants to use people. And many times we say, but I'm, I'm not the kind of person that God wants to use. If you say that, then you're exactly the kind of person that God wants to use. Sometimes God's plan doesn't make sense. This is point number four. It's the last point. You can, you can breathe easy. Sometimes God's plan doesn't make sense. It's not logical to us, but it is always for his glory. On the seventh day, they rose early. Verse 15. 
They rose early at the dawn. They marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was the only day that they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout to the Lord, for he has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who were with her in her house were saved because she had hid the messengers. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted to them, you will take any of the devoted things and make camp of Israel for the destruction and bring trouble upon it. All the silver, all the gold, every vessel of bronze and iron, everything, they are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted this great shout and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. A simple, illogical, crazy plan. But a powerful God. They obeyed him by faith. They did exactly what he asked. And some of you may be old enough to remember the old song, And the Walls Came Tumbling Down. As a, as a boy, we, we talked about this story and we sang this song. But I didn't really realize how powerful this story was until just recently. As I began to see how God uses people that we would never imagine. He used horns. <laughs> He used a shout from the people. But really what he used was the obedience of the people. He gave them specific instructions and they followed. What does God ask you to do? There's a lot in here. Are you, are you using this as your guide to life? Are you using this to, to help you? to navigate the life that, that we live today. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the declaration of the Lord. God's ways are different. He wants to use things that we would never imagine. God wants to do things in a strange way so that he can get the glory. I don't know how many times I've seen great Christian brothers or sisters do things, and as they do that, they kind of, you know, like, like a gymnast, after they stick the landing, they kind of do, look at me. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who says, who sticks the landing and says, look at God. Look at God. One of my favorite stories is, is, is an older story. In fact, uh, it involves a, a telegraph. Any of you familiar with the telegraph? Long before computers and long before smartphones. And you, you watch some of the old westerns, they, they tap out the message, right? And if you know Morse code, then you can translate the message. And the story is told about this young man who had gotten out of college, but he couldn't find a job. But as he was looking for a job, he found that they were looking for someone in the telegraph op operator. And he was actually a Boy Scout. He had learned to do Morse code as a Boy Scout. So he showed up to the office. The, the appointment said 8 o'clock in the morning. 
like a great college student. He got there at 8.15. He opened the door, and the room was full. All the seats were taken. People were standing up against the wall. He said, I don't have a chance. So he started to leave, but just as he started to leave, he closed the front door. He went to the manager's office. He didn't even knock. He just opened the door and went in the manager's office. All the people were sitting there thinking, who is this guy? What does he think he's doing? And one guy punched the guy next to him. He said, oh, just wait. Surely the manager's going to come out, and he's going to throw the guy out in just a minute. And sure enough, the, the manager came out, but they noticed he had his arm around the young man. And he said, you guys can go. The job's been filled. And they were irate. They were angry. They were shouting, what do you mean he's the last one in here? I was here at 8 o'clock. Another guy said, I was waiting outside at 745. I was out there at 730. And the manager said, wait a minute. You're here for the, for the telegraph operator job, right? Yes. You know Morse code? Yes. He said, since 8 o'clock, I've been on the other side of the wall typing out the message. If you understand this message, walk through the door. Don't even knock. The job is yours. He was the first one to come in. Our God does things in unconventional ways. Our God wants to use the least of these. Our God requires faith. And our God wants to receive the glory. But one thing that I am sure of, our God continues to call people. My prayer is that we will listen, that we will hear, and that we will be obedient. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word, which is clear. I thank you for this beautiful story of people who did a strange thing so that you could be honored. And so that they could learn the lesson on how to live life in a more fulfilling way. Father, if we will only learn to trust and obey you, we can have that abundant life that you talked about. Father, I pray this morning for Oak Church. I pray for every person that is here this morning that we would hear your voice, that we would know your voice, and that we might follow you even if you ask us to do something that's a little unusual. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.